Is revamping our health insurance enough to change our current situation? What else needs to be done? I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Shortell. Dr. Shortell is the Blue Cross of California Distinguished Professor of Health Policy and Management and Professor of Organization Behavior at the School of Public Health and Haas School of Business at the University of California, Berkeley. He is also the Dean of the School of Public Health at Berkeley. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Happy to be here, Dr. Lunt. Now, Dr. Shortell, I think we all look forward to a day when all Americans are covered by universal health insurance. But how can realistically this happen? I think it's going to happen in stages. We're not going to see comprehensive health reform this election for sure. And I think the key questions that we're going to be debating is what should be in the basic benefit package for all Americans and how should we pay for it? How should we finance it? And I think the answers to those questions are going to come in stages. They're going to come in experimentations at the state level. In terms of stages of coverage, as you know, we're trying to get coverage for our children. The state insurance program for children, child health insurance program that uh, the Bush administration, I guess, currently is holding up and threatens to veto. So I think it will happen in stages where we will first expand coverage for children, and then we will expand coverage for adults. But I don't think it's going to happen this election. There's several reasons for that. One has to do with the relative lack of agreement and how best to extend the coverage and the fact that if Hillary Clinton is elected, I don't think she's going to take this on the first couple of years given past experience. I don't think Obama would given his inexperience. The Republicans have not put forward a clear-cut proposal yet. I don't think John Edwards would either as a first-term president. I think what we're going to see the next four years is more experimentation at the state level. Vermont, Massachusetts, out here in California. And I would see comprehensive health reform the election after this one, Mm -hmm. 2012-2013. Well, luckily, we do have a little bit of insight, maybe, from the states that are trying different plans. As you mentioned, like Massachusetts, Oregon as well comes to mind. What lessons have we learned from them? Maybe we can avoid the mistakes they've made. One of the lessons from Oregon and others is you can't just work on insurance reform alone and expand coverage without working on the delivery system. So in Oregon, with the Medicaid program a number of years ago, they expanded coverage, had a basic benefit set, and now they've reneged on that program and pretty much disassembled it altogether because it became too costly. And we're going to see the same things happening in in other states without paying attention to the delivery system. Most states, California, Massachusetts, have worked on insurance reform and how we're going to pay for it. Some employers uh, either pay in to a pool or you cover your people and kind of go from there with subsidies for the poor. Same thing in Massachusetts, and you mandate that everybody has coverage, just like with auto insurance. Mm -hmm. But one state has gone the other way, Vermont. They've started on the delivery system side. So has Pennsylvania a little bit and said, first of all, we need to make coverage affordable. So we need to work on the side of how doctors and hospitals and how they can be more efficient and how we can set up incentives and how we can disperse electronic medical records and how we can implement the chronic care model. And let's make sure we have a well-functioning delivery system and then expand insurance coverage. And so my point is you're you're going to need both. The lessons we're learning from the states is you need to work both sides of that equation. 
I think those are some of the major lessons we're going to see. Now, when we look at the whole health care pie, what is the big ticket, or is there a big ticket in terms of where we spend our money? There's several big tickets. One is new technology. A lot of it is good, but we do not have currently a Center for Comparative Effectiveness that's being talked about in Congress. That would be a part of a National Center for Evidence-Based Medicine and Management, would be a National Center for Comparative Effectiveness that would look at these technologies and do the analysis of cost-effectiveness, therefore making it more prudent for us to adopt some technologies and not others. And so I think that is a big area has to do with technology. A second big area, of course, is the growing volume of chronically ill in this country. Of those of us over the age of 65, about three-quarters of us have at least one chronic illness. And of those, 50% have two or more chronic illness. And chronic illness now accounts for between 75 and 80% of all health expenditures in the United States. So we need to do a better job managing people with chronic illness. Third part of it is the costs that we spend in the last days of life, the end-of-life care. We pour a lot of stuff into that. There's the old story told by a friend of mine who actually was born in Scotland and lived in Canada. He's now out here in California, and he says, well, the Scots, you know, with all their rain and so forth, are chronically depressed. They think death is imminent. <laughs> in Canada, where I live most of my life, you know, death is inevitable. They accept it as a reality. They says, by God, I've been out here in California five years, and these damn Californians think death is optional. <laughs> and so that says a lot about the American culture. We want to live forever. So we throw a lot at, you know, those last days and months of life. Those are a few of the things. We also have the problem of the uninsured, so those can run up costs in different ways that we pay for because they often end up in the emergency room and cost more than they would otherwise if they had received some health insurance coverage to get a preventive test or to get some primary care. Those are some of the big culprits in our health care costs in this country. And I think probably much different than the man on the street might think it to be. Yeah, the man on the street often thinks it's the gouging insurance companies, the for-profit insurance companies, uh, the CEOs making, you know, a million, million and a half and all of this, or the for-profit hospitals, or some that think, uh, you know, doctors make too much money. And, of course, as you know and your listeners know, there's a huge, huge variance in physician pay between primary care and surgeons and so forth. But nonetheless, often the person on the street has that, sort of viewpoint. And in fact, that's not the big problem at all. It's some of these other things we've talked about here. And of course, what hits them hard, which may be medication costs, which overall sounds like it's not a huge piece of the pie. It's not. Medication costs is the percentage of total health expenditures, 10%. It was Hmm. about 9% five, eight years ago. So percentage-wise, it has not gone up a lot, nor is it a high number in terms of overall costs, uh, 38%. Of costs are still hospital, and about 22% are physician costs. Pharmaceutical costs are 10%. But nonetheless, for an individual person who's at that stage in their life where they need a lot of medication, it is a big budget breaker, no question about it, and that's the outcry we hear. For young Americans, you seldom take any medication, you know, maybe a Mm -hmm. vitamin pill. But it's when you get to that having that first heart attack or trying to stave it off or you're 65 and over, all of a sudden, medications become a big budget item. For those of you who are just tuning in, welcome to our special series on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. 
I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Shortell. We are discussing insurance reform. Now, Dr. Shortell, of course, most of our audience is really just practicing physicians. We're on our way to work or going to the hospital. What can we do to become involved in the process of change? I think uh, it's a very important question, Dr. Lump, because so many Americans respect their physicians and have contact on an annual basis or every couple of years that physicians can probably exert more influence than, than many realize. And the ones I've worked with and my colleagues I do research with here at the university and elsewhere, it's very important to study these kinds of issues to the extent you have time, and, and that's often a problem. Keep an open mind. Ask two questions. I find I ask a lot. When you hear something or you read something or you're talking to someone, one of those questions would be, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And a second question is, how do you know that? You know, somebody makes a statement, cites a figure, to ask, how do you know that? What's the evidence base? And I think physicians being trained with data and the scientific method are very well attuned to asking those kinds of questions about these health policy issues. I would also suggest reaching out to others to form coalitions for the changes you'd like to see in your community. Uh, I'm talking about community-based healthcare organizations, the local health department, the schools, and the employers. Uh, these are all big players in, in health reform and what we want to see in our communities. And asking the question, what will really promote greater health in our community? What will really promote greater health in our community is a central question. And I think that physicians, if they choose, can really play an important leadership role uh, in all of that. It's so interesting in an election year that everybody seems to be talking about this, but I don't hear many physicians talking about it other than sort of grumbling about it in the back room. Yeah, and, uh, you know, hopefully that will change in a number of forums where physicians are playing a leadership role, but they tend to be in larger organizations. So the Mayo Clinic is playing a leadership role. Dr. Dennis Cortese and others there where they've sponsored about four forums all around the country and it's going to wind up in March 9th in Washington, D.C. with summarizing their thoughts on health reform. Uh, Kaiser Permanente has uh, done similar. RAN Health down in Santa Monica, California, and Dr. Robert Brooke, who heads up their health affairs office there, have been assembling people and, and beginning to speak out on some of the issues. So I think, you know, as the election draws closer, I think in the coming year we'll see more of that uh, beginning to occur. Can you recommend any places, maybe on the Internet, where people that are interested can find more and reliable information? There's at least two sources I can recommend, not that uh, they would be the only ones, and mm -hmm. I'm certainly not doing any advertising here, but there are two or three sources that I turn to regularly. One is the Commonwealth Fund in New York. And they have a website, and almost daily they put out these crisp bulletins on some of their studies and others that are very informative. So the Commonwealth Fund in New York. A second good source is the journal called Health Affairs. It's published out of Washington, D.C. It's bimonthly. You can also, on, on the web, they have web articles as well as the printed articles. And it's the leading journal to inform most of us on these kinds of health policy issues. It's written in a pretty straightforward manner. They have data, but it's not overly technical. And I highly recommend Health Affairs as, as another source also. And then the third might be the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Princeton, New Jersey. They have a website, and they report on their studies as well. And then, of course, as you know and your audience knows, the clinical journals 
the Journal of the American Medical Association will frequently have commentaries or special articles on health policy issues, and so will the New England Journal of Medicine. And I assume we all track those, but these other websites, Health Affairs and Commonwealth, would be uh, very good sources. Great. Thanks. And of course, I have to put some advertising in here that this month, all throughout the month, we have a special series on public health policy here at ReachMD XM 157. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. We've been discussing insurance reform with Dr. Stephen Shortell, the Dean of the School of Public Health at Cal Berkeley. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunn. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 